Well, Matthew chapter four, Matthew chapter four. We have been working our way through Matthew's gospel. And uh, we've looked at, in the, in the first part, we looked at the early days of Jesus's life and some of the traveling that went on there and some of the details. And then after that, we looked at this one who was called John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one that God said that he was going to send before the Christ, the Messiah. And by his preaching in his life, he would prepare the way for people to come to the Messiah, to come to Christ. And so he would be pointing people to Jesus. And so we looked at that. And then last week in chapter four, when we began, we looked at this time in Jesus's life where he spends 40 days praying and fasting. And it's in that time that he's tempted. And, and we talked about that last week. And so that came to a close. And, and as that actually closed in chapter four, verse 11. I'm just going to read chapter four, verse 11. It says, the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Now, uh, the next verse is verse 12, and verse 12 just says, now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. So although Matthew, the very next word word says, now when Jesus heard, uh, what we're going to find, especially if you put the Gospels together, that there's a time period between verse 11 and verse 12. So there on your outline, I want you to write down between verse 11 and 12, a few months pass, a few months pass. It may be six months after uh, Jesus has had this time of testing that John the Baptist is arrested. And uh, this arrest, when John the Baptist is arrested, is going to end John's ministry. And so Jesus is now going to come into prominence. And, and, uh, and so here it says that he headed to Galilee. Now, I grew up in the church and I I never really understood this. So I wanted to put a a map up there. And what you'll see is as we've looked down down in the bottom where the arrow's pointing down to the bottom, there's this area called Judea. And in that area you have places like Jerusalem and Bethlehem and we've circled those. And then that's by the Dead Sea. And when John the Baptist ministered, if you were to take where Jerusalem is and go go straight to the to the right. It's over there where the Jordan River goes up and down Israel. That's about where he was ministering. And then at the very top you see the area the arrow and there's this area called Galilee. That's the northern part of Israel. And in Galilee you have places like uh, the the Sea of Galilee and that's a, a large freshwater lake. It's uh, 8 miles long and it's 4 miles wide and it's it's um 90 feet deep. So in, in they, they called it the Sea of Galilee. We would just call it a, a large lake. It was all fresh water. But there in Galilee, you have these towns of Capernaum at the top, and we'll talk about that. And then you'll see the other circle there, and there is the, the town of Nazareth there just to the bottom. But what's also interesting is that you have Galilee at the top, and then you have Judea at the bottom. But in the middle of Israel, you have this area called Samaria. And Samaria was where the Samaritans lived. And there was a great deal of racial tension in between the Jewish people and the Samaritans that had gone on for hundreds of years. So much so that, that the Jewish people, when they traveled from Galilee to the top down to Jerusalem where the temple was, they would go around that area so they didn't have to get around or touch or in, in any way mingle with Samaritans. And the Samaritans returned the sentiment. So it was, it was both ways. So Jesus here, he leaves the southern part of Israel 
and he heads up to the northern part of, of Israel, uh, which is called Galilee. And, and uh, we also, in other gospels, you'll see that Jesus just travels through Samaria. He's not interested in all about going around Samaria because he, he, he's, he's, he's not, uh, that's, he wants to reach everyone. We'll see that as we travel through. So he heads up. And um, in verse 13, it goes on to say, he heads up to the northern part, which is Galilee, and then it says, and leaving Nazareth. And I'm going to come back to that in a moment. And then he settled, he came and he settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulon. So Capernaum is going to be in the north side of the Sea of Galilee, but it says he left Nazareth. Now, if you grew up in the church, you would know that Jesus grew up in this town called Nazareth. And over the over the, the last few months, six months, a year in, in his life, Jesus has become a very, very prominent teacher, and he's been traveling around. People are talking about his teaching, and uh, you know, the, the, there are crowds coming out to see him. So he goes back to his hometown. And there in his hometown, they think, you know, Jesus is back in town. He's, you know, local boy does good, you know, he has lots, lots of following. So he goes to the synagogue there on the Sabbath, and Jesus gives a message. And, um, and I, I want you to just, just once again notice it says, and leaving Nazareth. And that'll be important because we're going to find out why and what happens. He says, well, what happened? Well, he goes to the synagogue and everybody's, oh, Jesus is here, such a nice boy, you know, and done good. And so Jesus gives a little sermon. Now with your pen in hand, I put part of that sermon there on your outline. And Jesus is speaking to his hometown folk. Many of them would be relatives. And he says, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel, now underline the word Israel, in Elijah's time when the sky was shut up for three and a half years and and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, uh, in the region of Sidon. Now there's a little blank there, we'll come back to that. And there were many in Israel, and underline the word Israel, many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. A little, little space there, we'll come back to that. Now you want to underline this, so here's how they respond to his little sermon. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. And they got up and drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. Now I have to tell you, I've had a few teachings go that way. (laughs) For me... When this happens and they want to throw me off the cliff, what that means is it didn't come out exactly the way that I had hoped, and uh, and so that that sometimes happens. However, this is Jesus, and so here it's come out exactly as he wanted it to. So so what's the big deal? Well, um, there in that little passage, uh, we 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 noticed it said there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, but he wasn't sent to them. No, he was sent to a certain widow in Zarephath. Now in that little space there, I want you to write the word Gentile. Gentile. And uh, then he goes on, he says, you know, in Israel in the time of Elisha, there were many people who had leprosy, but uh, you know, Elisha didn't, didn't take care of that. But there was this one guy named Naaman the Syrian. And uh, I want you to write down a little space there, Gentile. You see, in, in their minds, they were the chosen ones. 
and which, which they were, but they thought that that meant that God loved them exclusively. And so they were bothered when Jesus highlights that no, in certain times, God took care of some people that they didn't necessarily, they didn't necessarily like. So they did not like hearing that God loved other people other than them. They were looking for a Messiah to come as a political leader and who would drive out these Gentiles who were in their land and, and that they just didn't want to be around. So uh, the, after the cliff incident where they throw him off or want to throw him off the cliff, uh, he leaves there and he goes up to the north side of the Sea of Galilee to this little town called Capernaum. Now we say Capernaum, they would say Kefir Nahum, which just means village of Nahum. And uh, in the Old Testament there's a prophet named Nahum, it's just the village of, of Nahum. Well, um, we notice something as he goes to Capernaum that we might miss, but uh, s- several Bible scholars, may, they, they reference this. And so you want to just write this down. We notice that Jesus goes to Capernaum, not to Jerusalem. And, and that's significant because if Jesus were to hire a consultant and ask them, how do I get this ministry off the ground? The, the, the prevailing wisdom of the day is, if you're going to get this, this ministry off the ground, you've got to get down to Jerusalem. That's where things are happening religiously. That's where the hub of all religious activity is. And that's where you would need to get your following. But what we notice is that God doesn't always do it the way that man would do it. And so you look in, in the Bible and you see all of these stories where, where it would be very different than how the local people would have done it. For instance, you have two brothers who are born, Jacob and Esau. Jacob is born second, although they're twins. Esau should become the firstborn, but God says, no, Jacob is going to be the firstborn. That would be very odd for the people. Uh, Another time that we're all very familiar with, there's the time where God says it's time to appoint a king. So he sends the prophet to the house of Jesse. They begin going through all the brothers. Jesse says, well, here's my boys, the oldest boys. They're smart, good looking, strong, and and, uh, definitely have some leadership experience. And God says, no, that's not the one. That's not the one. They go all the way down. And then the, the prophet says, do you have any other sons? And Jesse goes, yeah, but why would you want that one? I mean, he's just out there with the sheep. And so they go get David and they bring him in and uh, God says, that's the one. But it wouldn't have been the one or the way that the rest of the population would have looked on and said, that makes sense. Sometimes in your life when God is doing something, it might not make sense to everybody around you but you let God do what he's doing in your life. I love this verse. We've all heard it before. In Isaiah it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. So many might look on and say, go to Jerusalem. Jesus says, no, I'm going to Capernaum. Now, why would he go to Capernaum? Well, one of the things that we found in Matthew is Matthew is going to highlight many times where he's going to say this was to fulfill a passage, a prophecy in the Old Testament. So there on, in your Bible from verse 14 through 16, have your pen ready. He says, this was to fulfill that which was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, that's the Sea of Galilee, beyond the Jordan. Then I want you to underline Galilee of the Gentiles, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw great light, and those who were sitting in the land and a shadow of the earth, upon them a light dawned. And, and so 
what we find there is is that um, hundreds of years before Galilee, before this uh, prophecy was given, hundreds of years before Galilee was Jewish. But through the last few hundred years, it's become more and more Gentile as people have moved in. And the Bible prophesied there in verse 15, hundreds of years before, Galilee of the Gentiles. So it become almost predominantly Gentile. He says, in that time, which would have been outside of their, their way of thinking that could ever become Gentile, a light has shone to those who are sitting in the darkness. Those who are sitting in the darkness were the Jewish people who, had, who were expecting a Messiah to come and get rid of the Gentiles. They, it was beyond their ability to understand that God wanted to save the Gentiles also. And so they were sitting in the darkness, although a light had shone. And as we saw in the synagogue there in Nazareth, although the light had shown up, they were completely missing it. And that's the idea of what's taking place. Verse 17, we move on. He says, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, so I'm not going to spend very much time on it, but Jesus' message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Two weeks ago we talked about John's gospel and John just said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The disciples would go out and they will say repent. The first word is always repent. It's always the first step. You and I live in a generation that tends to skip that step. And it's very important to understand. To repent means that you've come to the place where you recognize I need to be made right with God. I am not right with God. And there needs to be a change. That's the starting point. And then whatever God wants to do beyond that, God does. But I come to the place I say, I I need to repent. That's why it's always the first word. In our world today, we tend to skip repentance and we say, come to Jesus because he will enhance your life, bless your finances, change your marriage, and, and all of these things, which I believe he wants to do. But the first word is repent. If you go to enhancement but you miss repentance, that's not the gospel and that can't save you. It begins with repentance. Does that make sense? So don't miss that. Don't miss, I know we talked about it uh, last week so we won't spend much time on it today. So now we come to verse 18 and this is what I, I wanted to talk about today so um, we'll spend some time here. Verse 18, he says, Now Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee And he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter. I want you to underline called Peter. And Andrew, his brother, now underline Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for their fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now immediately they left their nets and followed him. So a a couple of things that that we see, that, that this one, as he comes to Peter and his brother Andrew, they are casting a net. And we'll talk a little bit about because it's a little bit different when they, when they fished. This particular time they have a cast net. If you've ever caught bait and you have that cast net and it's a big circle and has weights all the way around it and that goes down and you pull that in. That's what they're doing. They're casting that net. And uh, we'll talk about another net in a few moments. That's just the, the idea. It's about 25 feet in diameter. Now Jesus walks up, sees them and he says, now follow me and they left everything. I come from a tradition that that tends to, when you come to this, they say something like, 
you know, Jesus was just so amazing. I mean, just the power of this man, of his presence, so that he would just walk up to somebody and they're there on the beach and he would just say, follow me. And something about what he said, they would just immediately drop everything and, and follow him. And, and maybe you've heard something like that. And it's true, they do follow him, but there's a little bit more to the story. And uh, the little bit more to the story is important when you understand the following him. So a couple of things, just to add a little context to the story, before um, verses uh, 18 through 20, I want you to write this down uh, there in a little, little uh, fill in. Just write, about a year before verses 18 through 20. So we're going to go a year before. Remember in verse 12, we were told John the Baptist had been arrested. So we're going to go before he's arrested, about a year before. And there in your outline, John's gospel will tell it like this. The next day, John, and this will be John the Baptist, was with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he, come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. Now underline this, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said who had followed Jesus. Now uh, continue underlining, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and he brought him to Jesus. So before Jesus says, follow me, they met Jesus a year before down in the southern part of Israel where John the Baptist was ministering. Now that's going to be important for our study. So they meet him, they spend some time, the relationship, the friendship begins to grow. Later on, a few months later, Jesus goes back to the northern part of the Galilee and then ultimately comes to this town of Capernaum, which is there on the Sea of Galilee, and that's where Peter and Andrew, Peter and Andrew live. And so they're reconnecting. Jesus lives there. So they're, they're developing their friendship. They're getting to know Jesus more. So several months go by. Well, a few months before verses 18 through 20, there's another event. So go ahead and write down a few months before verses 18 through 20. Jesus is there and he's teaching in Capernaum. And he's by the Sea of Galilee. And as he's there, the crowd wants to hear what he's saying. So Jesus keeps backing up. And he finally gets to the sea, to the water. And he goes, one more step and I'm, I'm going in. And so he turns to Peter and says, can I get in your boat? So there on your outline, it says he got into the boats, one belonging, and I've underlined the word belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Well, you know the story, and if you don't, you want to read that later. That's where they experience what God is really like, because when they follow what he's saying, what he does, they experience what we like to call net-breaking, boat-sinking abundance. And uh, they find out that he's not the God of just enough, he's the God of abundance. And so when he gets involved, there's so much that it nearly sinks the boats. And uh, you can read the story. 
Now, as you read that story, you're going to find that it's going to say there that they left everything and they began following him. Now, what that means is that Jesus is going to travel around the area of the Galilee. He's going to teach and preach, and they're going to follow him around. And and then after he comes back to Capernaum, when he goes home, they just simply go back to their fishing company and they continue to fish. Now, on this particular day, which is now a year after they've met Jesus, this is the day where he says, follow me, and they leave everything. And this is the leaving everything of, of, of everything. They're, they're just following Jesus. The idea is apparently they were waiting for that invitation to follow him. They, they were looking forward to that. So it's not that they met him, there's been this growing relationship, and now they're invited to follow, and they can't wait, and so they, they follow. Now, verse 18 He says, now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and we underlined that, and and Andrew, his brother. Well, what's important there, and you know this if you've been around the church for any length of time, but but if you're new, this would be uh, important. Uh, Write this down there in your outline. His mama (laughs) named him Simon, but Jesus called him Peter. Now, this is important because Simon from the Hebrew just means hearing. The word for hearing in Hebrew is Simon. Or they would say Simeon, Simon or Simeon, whichever, and it would go, uh, they'd say either, either way. But God has a, a plan for, for this one. So Jesus won't call him Simon, he will call him Peter. What does Peter mean? Well, there on your outline, Peter means a stone, a rock. It's used metaphorically of a soul that's hard and unyielding, and so resembling a rock. And so Jesus comes and he just says, you are Peter. You're the rock. You're the rock. Literally rocky, we would say. So every time Jesus sees him, he says, you're the rock. You're the rock. You're the rock. We, we pass over this, but this is very important. I want you to write this down. Jesus chose to speak the future or the desired future over his disciples. The desired future over his disciples. He says, Peter, you're a rock. Peter, you're a rock. But as you read the Gospels, you find that early on, Peter's not always the most stable guy. He, he's, he's putting his foot in his mouth. He says stupid things. He does stupid things. Jesus keeps saying, you're the rock. You're the rock. You're the rock. And, and so we, we see that in the life of Jesus, that he, he speaks the future. Later on, uh, when we travel through this, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, Jesus is going to encounter a man named Levi who was a tax collector who'd been rejected by the nation of Israel because they considered him a turncoat, a traitor. And so Jesus meets him. His name is Levi, but Jesus will never call him Levi. He invites him to be a disciple. Jesus calls him Matthew, Matthew, Matthew. What does Matthew mean? Matthew just means the gift of God, the gift of God, the gift of God. So the nation would see him as a traitor, but Jesus says, I'm going to call you the gift of God, the gift of God, the gift of God. Matthew chooses to only say about himself what Jesus says. This is one of the most important parenting principles you can ever learn. That when God gives you your little disciples, your children, you always want to speak the desired future over them. And one of my favorite stories is, uh, many of you have heard the, the pastor on the radio, Charles Stanley. How many of you have heard of Charles Stanley? Charles Stanley great ministry, uh, has a son named Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley pastors a church in North Atlanta and runs about 20,000 people on any given, any given week. 
Andy tells the story that every day growing up, his dad would look at him and say, Andy, God's going to do big things in your life. Andy, God's going to do big things in your life. Andy, God's going to do big things in your life. And then Andy tells some stories about how it really didn't look like God was going to do big things in his life based upon some of the things that he did. But his dad would say, Andy, God's going to do big things in your life. God's going to do big things in your life. Well, now Andy pastors a church, has 20,000 people in weekly attendance. Would you say that God's done some big things in his life? You want to always speak the desired future over your children. You never want to tell them they're stupid, they're losers, they're garbage, anything. No matter what they do, you speak the future. We look at our kids and we say, God's going to do big things in your life. God has a great plan for your life. It's going to be amazing what happens. I know God has a plan for your life. Now, a few times I've had to say that, and I believe I'm lying through my teeth because it, it does not look like that's going to happen. But I understand that you speak the future and your words begin to shape them. So be very, very careful. Jesus chose to speak the desired future over his disciples. So Matthew, you're the gift of God. Peter, you're the rock. You're the rock. And he kept saying that. Now what I also love is that Peter has a brother. His name is Andrew. And uh, so you go, what does Andrew mean? Well, Andrew's mama called him Andrew. And there in your outline, that just means a strong man, a strong man. And Jesus goes, you know what, I'm not going to change that. We'll just stick with that. Andrew, you're a strong man, a strong man. So he just sticks with that. Well, then you come to verse uh, 21. He says, now going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And, And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, these nets that they are mending are very different than the cast nets. These nets would be about 500 feet long. You'd have tied between two boats. You'd go out at night because the fish can't see. They'd go out and then they'd circle the fish and bring them into shore. And so that's how they fish. So they used both types of nets. So they were mending those. James and John are, are teenagers at this point. John is clearly the youngest of the disciples. We don't have a lot of description about, about the disciples physically, But in the few places that we have of John, although he was very young, he was very large. And so he's been described as being a mountain of a man, just big, just just a a big, big guy. And I I love that, that Jesus, in their case, he highlights their personality. So as Jesus is choosing disciples there on your outline in Mark's gospel, we'll say this. It says, James, the son of Zebedee, which is the father of the fishing company, John, the brother of James, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means, and you want to underline, sons of thunder. I love that. That just tells you the, exactly the type of guys they are. These are the guys they would ride into town. They'd have their black leather jackets, their wind blowing in their hair as they rode their donkeys in the town. You could just, just come on in. Powerful guys. And uh, so, so, you, you, you get a little glimpse of their personality and the guys that Jesus chose to use. So for instance, uh, one time their personality comes out, they're following Jesus, and in this time they've come to a town, the town's rejected Jesus, rejected the disciples, rejected the gospel, and so James and John, they say this, they're on your outline, Luke says it like this. Now when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, you uh, want us to uh, command fire down from heaven and consume them? 
Isn't that great? I love that. Their motto is kill them all, let God sort them out. That's just, that's just good. So, and, and then how you, your concept of Jesus will determine how you read Jesus' response because it says Jesus rebuked them. That just means he corrected them. He corrected them. So I don't think he goes, oh, you guys are such losers. I, I think what he says is something like this. He rebuked them and said, guys, you, you, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. And then I think he, I think he says something like, one more time, guys, from the top, here's how it is. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And that's what it says. And I think that they look on and go, okay. And then, then they, they go on to the next town is what it says. So I, I appreciate that about their personality. And he says, those are my disciples. That's who I choose to use. Now, one other thing that hits me about John, and I sometimes get emotional when I share this. John is uniquely fearless. Fearless. So you know the story where they come and they arrest Jesus and all of the disciples run away. They're hiding, and the reason they're hiding is because they know we've been with Jesus. And they're crucifying him, we're next. Because you know, you know, we're associated with him, so we're next. So they're all hiding. They're in fear for their lives, all except for one. And this one apparently shows up at the crucifixion and he fears no one. And uh, you get the sense that as he shows up, everybody knows who he is. He's one of the disciples. And they look at him and he gives them the look as if to say, all right, you little Roman soldiers, any of you got a problem with me being here? And apparently nobody wants a shot at the title. So nobody says anything. So Jesus is on the cross. All the other disciples are hiding. John shows up and he really doesn't care what anybody thinks. And there in your outline it says, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. I love that, that, that John is there. And he doesn't care what anybody thinks. And he's not afraid of anybody. So I love the disciples. And I, I love their personalities. I can't wait till we get to talk about Simon the Zealot, who is always packing a concealed weapon. And, uh, and uh, we'll talk about him when we get there. And Jesus loves him too. So, so you, you see this in the lives of the disciples. Now, what, what I, I love about this is that these aren't the types of guys that you would typically consider to be disciples. When I grew up in the church and I went to a Christian college, what was elevated as the picture of spirituality would not be John, who is fearless and who's ready to take anybody on at any time. Uh, It was always these very mild-mannered, soft-spoken people, and those were considered the disciples. And I realized I didn't fit the mold. And uh, it wasn't until I began to study and realized that neither did they. And that's what's so cool about them. So if you've ever felt like, God, I think you have a plan for me, but I don't know that I fit the mold, you might be just the one that God wants to use. So another thing that I wanted to highlight today as uh, we wrap this up, but write this down, following Jesus means leaving some things behind. Now we tend to think of these guys as fishermen and we think you know, they're so poor, kind of have this you know, hand-to-mouth existence and barely making it through the day. Nothing could be further from the truth. To, to be in the fishing business in that day was a very profitable 
uh, business, especially if you were the owner of the boat and you were the owner of the company. So when Mark tells the story, he adds a detail. He says this, without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the, what's it say? Hired men and followed him. When they followed Jesus, they were not walking away from an impoverished life. They were walking away from a blessed life. And let me just tell you how blessed they were. Their fishing company is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum. They are able financially to leave that. The system or the company continues on. We know that they traveled down to the southern part of Israel. That's where they meet Jesus the first time. They spend time with John the Baptist. They apparently have the finances in place where they can just walk away and do that. And then later on, they come back to the company and the company is still continuing. So when they are walking away from fishing, they are not walking away from a hand-to-mouth existence. They're walking away from a blessed lifestyle. But they have encountered something in Jesus that's so far more compelling that, that to follow him was a step up, they felt. Maybe not financially, but just their, the, in fulfillment and, and, and every other way. Now, there, there's another aspect of, of this that I want to cover very, very quickly, but when Jesus begins to call his disciples, he does discipleship very different than what was taking place there in Israel at that time. Typically, a rabbi, and there were several rabbis in Israel, uh, many different rabbis, a a rabbi would uh, seek to gather disciples. But the question for the rabbi, if I was going to take a disciple, can this disciple do what I do? And so they would put these candidates to the test. And in ancient Israel, almost all the guys memorized at least the first five books of the Bible, the, the Torah, but then many would memorize the, the rest of the Old Testament. So if you were going to be a disciple of some rabbi, that would be like getting selected to the NFL. That was as high as, as, you, as you could go. So you would go and you would candidate before a rabbi and you say, Rabbi, I'd like to be your disciple. And uh, each rabbi had his own bent on the scripture, you might say. And so the rabbi would say, well, well uh, let, me, let me ask you a few questions. And he said, so in the book of Leviticus, in the Torah. This happens in the temple. I want you to start quoting from this place, and I want you to quote to there. And, and they would do that flawlessly. And he said, now what are the four things that jump out? And they would skip around on all these things. And if, and if you blew it, you blew it. And so the rabbi many times would say, this, he doesn't have what it takes to, to do what I do. So the rabbi would be polite, and he'd say, you know, my son, I think that you love the Torah. You love scripture. You love the Lord. You need to go back home, and you need to teach Torah in the local synagogue, get married, have many babies, build a business, but you cannot do what I do. And so they they would be rejected in that way. When Jesus seeks out disciples, it's not them coming to audition for him. He is going to them and inviting them to follow him as a disciple. It's theorized that some of the people that he invites to be a disciple are people that might have been rejected by some other rabbi. And so they jump at the chance to be a disciple. In those days, the goal of a disciple was to one day as you follow the rabbi, one day you become a rabbi with your bent of teaching, and then you would gather disciples under you who would one day want to become rabbis also. So 
the difference in Jesus's discipleship is that you became his disciple, but you didn't become a rabbi with your own teaching. You simply always remained a disciple of Jesus. You being a disciple of Jesus was all tied to your relationship with him. So when he sent you out, you were not going out as yourself being a rabbi with your own bent. Your whole purpose as his disciple was to point people to him so that they would become not your disciple, but his disciple. That is, they would develop their relationship with him. It was all based upon a relationship with him. Now, the disciples, as we look at their lives, they met Jesus at a certain place and the relationship just continued to grow. It grew to the place where uh, they allowed Jesus to use the boat. They trusted him enough one time to cast out nets when it made no sense. He says, why don't you follow me on a teaching trip? They follow him on a teaching trip. Ultimately, he says, I want you to leave everything and follow me. But as their relationship with him grew, their commitment to him grew very naturally. Their commitment to him was based upon their relationship with him. As we travel through the New Testament, what we're going to find, or the Gospels, we're going to find, and I want you to write this down, their growing relationship with Jesus was evidenced in taking next steps. So he didn't meet them and say, leave everything and follow me. He met them, he got to know them, they grew in relationship. As they grew in relationship, he says, let me use your boat. Cast out the net. And, and you know how it goes. Ultimately, he'll say, okay, now you're following me. Now I'm, I'm going to send you out. Trust me. Based upon their growing relationship with him, they would take ever greater steps of trust because of their relationship with him. If you are a believer today, the way that your relationship with him is evidence, the way that you know that you are growing, is that as you follow him, as your relationship with him increases, he leads you to the next step. It was getting in the boats, casting the net. It was following me, being sent out. Ultimately, Peter says, can I get out of the boat? And then he, Jesus says, I'm going back to heaven. Now I want you to go. As their relationship grew, their trust grew, their commitment grew. I say this because that's what we find in Scripture. So when, when I meet a believer, a professing believer, not by way of guilt, but by way of evaluation, and you realize that there has been no taking next steps, there has been no growth in the relationship, uh, there, there's been not a greater trust than they were five years ago, it tells you that although they may have been acquiring more information, they haven't really grown in their relationship with him. Because that relationship always manifests in taking a next step. Sometimes it's trust me in this area of your life. Sometimes it's step out in this area. Take this on. Serve in this capacity. And, and God has much that he wants to do in all of us. So how do we know? Well, you know that you're growing because you've been taking steps of faith along the way. And uh, so here's the question. You want to write this down. The, the question is, what is my next step? If I'm in a growing relationship, it will manifest in a greater commitment to him, 
uh, a greater stepping, a greater trusting. And hopefully it also manifests in greater knowledge, but that's not where the relationship is. The relationship becomes vibrant as we step out. We are so over time, so I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer. But my prayer for you today is that as we evaluate our lives, we make sure that, that we have a growing relationship. And if we have a growing relationship, it will manifest in that stepping out, that taking that next step, whatever that is for, for you and for each of us. Let's pray. Father, as we wrap this up today, um, our desire is to be the people of God that you've called us to be. We realize that the relationship with you is central. The relationship manifests by following your leading. And uh, as you lead, we want to be the people that take the steps that you are taking us to. And I know, Father, that it's different for each and every one of us uh, because we're all at different places. But Lord, we don't want to be those who for long periods of time gather information, but we never grow in our relationship with Jesus. So help us to know what our next step is. Father, I pray that you keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.